The Secrets of Technology is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Technology. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss the technology news that's important to you from a uniquely Catholic point of view. And joining me today on the panel are Thomas Sanerho. Hey, Thomas. Hey, Dom. And Jack Barazzini. Hi, Jack. Hey, Dom. Uh, Happy, uh, was it, as we record this, it's uh, Happy Revenge of the Fifth, or as you listen to this, perhaps Revenge of the Sixth. You know they get two days, right? The Sith, because... Oh, yeah. There are always two. two. That's <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, we're nerds. We're, we're, do, we're doing it. So, uh, but today we're actually, our, our topic for this for this uh, episode, we're going to talk about some Kindle tips. So, you know, Kindle, Amazon's Kindle, there are other ebooks out there. There's the Nook and there's other ones. But really, Amazon has is got the, the, the lock on this market pretty much. I mean, the, you could use other ones, but they've got most of the mar- market in ebook readers. And so uh, we will and some of what we're going to talk about tonight is going to possibly be transferable in some ways. But we're really talking about Kindle tips for people who own Kindles or or buy Kindle books, which are two different things. And uh, and, and the Kindle is more than just the device you can get from Amazon. Uh, there's other ways of accessing it. We'll talk about that. So we did want to talk about tips for Kindle users, Kindle readers, and that sort of thing. And you know, I want to start by, uh, and if you Google Kindle tips, there's a billion articles out there. A lot of them cover <laughs> some similar ground, and some of them have tips that aren't so great. But uh, I think we'll probably have some pretty good ones. Uh, and I want to start with what I was just talking about, which is that you don't have to own an Amazon Kindle device in order to be able to read Amazon Kindle books because you can download free apps for Kindle for for your Mac, your PC, your iOS device, so both iPhone and iPad and your Android devices. So it's available and is there a Linux version? I just didn't even think to look at um, that. I don't know. I can check real quick, but yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's probably something that you can. I think there with. is. I'm, I'm sure someone has done it. So, yeah, I mean, basically, it's like uh, Kindle is like Netflix. It's on every platform possible. It's on your toaster, I think. And uh, <laughs> so you can download your if you buy a, a, a Kindle book, you can download it to a device. You can send it to your the app on any of your computers or or your phone and all that sort of thing and you can always have your books with you wherever you go and uh that's a pretty good thing it means it means that the barrier for entry to having these ebooks is lower you don't have to spend this the 70 80 100 or more dollars to buy a a, a physical kindle device if you already have a phone so that's pretty good how do you guys consume your Kindle ebooks. Uh, I have a paper uh, paper white tenth generation. What about you guys? Uh, that's the same. Uh, same for me. I have uh, the paper white, and yeah. that's pretty much the only way I read books now. Yeah, nice. So. Same here. Yeah, yeah. I see. I gave up on the Kindles after my uh, first gen died, and it it had a good long life. Man, it it was really. <laughs> I think. And then what ended up killing it was I stopped using it for about three months and. The battery died, and it's one of those things that that was the generation where if you let the battery die, 
it had catastrophic failure and you just could not <laughs> recover from that. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I read mine on, uh, I, I mostly read my books now on uh, the devices that my library uh, provides us, which is uh, Libby and Overdrive. Right. We'll get to that in a sec. Uh, I, I want to cover those because mm -hmm. uh, that's another way to get books. You don't have to get all your books from Amazon. Uh, but Jack, what you said, I, I agree. I, uh, I, don't, I, I don't ever read physical books anymore. I have a, <laughs> I have a library full of them behind me. But, uh, you know, when I'm reading a book, when I want to read a book, it's generally an ebook because it's just easier for me. It's always with me. It's on my phone or my my Kindle, my Kindle device. And the reason I prefer uh, the ebook reader, the, the paper, the paper white is it doesn't have notifications. It's distraction free. It's it's a it's a unitasker to use right. an Elton Brown term. And that's good for when I just want to read. I just want to I don't want to do anything else on it. And that's what I like about it. Yeah, that's that's the same for me. I also like it um, for especially if I'm doing like research books for history or things like that. Um, it gives a lot of options for taking notes. Um, and also you can um, I can't remember what the feature is called, but if you like hold over a name, it will give you background information. X-ray. Yes. Yeah. X-ray. That's really good. And it also handles footnotes really well. Mm -hmm. That's something I really like about that. Yes. Yeah. It, much better than than a physical book. You can like bring up the the. Uh, you know, the footnote right there on the screen without having to flip pages or that right. sort of thing. I like the x-ray or the, you can also uh, get a Wikipedia entry for certain things that would be in Wikipedia or word definitions, which is always Yeah, that one's great. really helpful. Um, uh, you know, I'll admit it. There, I sometimes will kind of cross a word. I'm like, I, I have never looked at I kind of get it from context. But what is the actual definition? If mm -hmm. I just, you know, you press and hold. And mm -hmm. that's always great to have. Yeah, I I really I I'm really glad for that. And you mentioned um, X-ray, but also highlighting and note taking, and the highlighting is good. There's a page on Amazon site called read.amazon.com/notebook, mm -hmm. where your if you go there and you're signed into your Amazon account, it will show you all your highlights and notes from all your books. Right, that's a really useful feature. Yeah, it's it's really great. Uh, that, is, that there's also a way to kind of use. Uh, highlights and uh, things as, as a social uh, aspect, right? So if a book's yeah. been read by many people, you can see the highlights and notes that other people have taken. Right. right. It will show you passages that have been highlighted by a lot of people. And that's actually, it, I mean, sometimes sometimes it's amusing what people think is cool in, <laughs> yes. in yeah. some books. Uh, sometimes it can be a little perplexing. <laughs> like, why does everyone think that this sentence is so profound? Uh, and But but sometimes it's, it, it actually leads to some interesting, like, thought like hmm that's mm -hmm. i hadn't thought like why is that yeah that's an interesting point and then you end up i end up highlighting it again myself make sure right. i get the highlight <laughs> yeah you can actually turn off those highlights so that by the way the public highlights uh mm -hmm. there is a way to do that and i'll put a link in the show notes for the the link to the the way to to do that but uh, yeah the highlighting is is good and uh and the note taking so that that's actually really useful and frankly i almost prefer to do that in the app on my Mac because well, typing on the Kindle screen is, mm. is, is really difficult when you're used to the responsiveness of an Android yeah. or iPhone, uh, touchscreen. Uh, but, uh, so it, 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 but that's the other nice thing is, is those things are available. It all transfers across to your computer and easily accessible there. Right. And it saves your place when you're reading across devices. Yes. Which is really that's nice. A big one. Yeah. Um, another thing that, people might be interested in is that is the whisper sync service which is if you for a lot of books and most newer books in fact 
uh, if they have an audiobook version, you can for just a little bit more than the ebook, you can buy the audio ver- audible audio version of it, and then you can l- switch off back and forth listening to it, the audio, and and reading it on the screen, and it keeps mm-hmm. track between them too, which can be useful for for people who like to do that. Yeah, definitely. Another thing that's really nice is on the Kindle store, and you can just get these online too. Um, pretty much anything that's in the public domain, you can get for free, which is going to yes. include lots and lots of classics. So right. you basically have those for free automatically. And lots of bizarre, obscure stuff that you never would have thought of. Like I, I found a, a book about annealing uh, steel, and it talks about the entire like copywriting process of the of creating steel and how all that came to be. And it's it was off of a weird search I was doing for blacksmithing stuff. And it was free uh, because it, you know, came out before copyright on books. And right. so, but it was this interesting treatise on like how all these co- corporations had claimed the, the process of annealing steel before the book itself could be copyrighted. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, there, there are a lot of small books out there. Some of them are just shovelware, like some guy decided to make a buck and I'm just going to throw compile a bunch of nonsense into a book and see if anyone buys it on on Amazon. But there are some good ones out there. Jimmy Aiken and I just did an episode of Mysterious World on spontaneous human combustion, and he said he found this like dollar ninety nine book that this guy had written, which was like the best reference he'd, he'd been able to find on the topic <laughs> of historical cases of spontaneous human combustion. So you know, it it's again the barrier to entry for people has been lowered way down. Uh, right. Yeah. It means there's a lot of good stuff, a lot of bad stuff. But you, so if you can find the good stuff, I think that's how the Martian was released originally, just on Kindle. I think he, yeah, he self-published it at first. I think he, yeah. first he did it uh, like a chapter by chapter on his blog, and then he self-published it as a Kindle ebook, like self self book, and then it got picked up by the publisher. Right. So, yeah, that's another way to 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 uh, fame and stardom in the in the writing world if you yeah. if you get lucky. <laughs> So, Thomas, you you uh, said that you use Libby and Overdrive. Tell us a little bit about Libby and Overdrive. Sure. Um, so Libby and Overdrive are library versions of Kindle, basically, where you go in and you search for your book. Uh, you, you take your library card, you enter in your library card information. And if they are if they have bought into the, the system, then you can uh, check out a, a book from them. And it works just like library books. So you'll have to wait a while most of the time because there's only like one or two copies of the book available. But you get it for free. It checks it out to you for a month and um, keeps track of your progress reading it. Uh, when you when it's time to come go back, it'll warn you that it's time to go back and ask if you want to try and uh, check it out again. And if there's no holds, then you can get it a second time. Uh, so it's really it's a nice system. And I, I use it because it has a lot of the same functionality. It's missing some of the like note taking and things like that you can't do. Uh, but I, I have a I do just dark screen so it's the black screen with the white lettering uh it has a do not disturb mode so you can set it up so uh inside of libby it's kind of got the focus mode where you Mm -hmm. you stay inside the app uh pretty permanently and um it's also nice because it keeps track of the speed at which you're reading and so it can recommend how fast you'll get through a book so if you go to check out a book it'll recommend hey you you know you might need to have longer than the standard amount of time for this book um, which is a, a kind of nice feature too. Um, nice, but yeah, I, I use them just because I, I really didn't want to move into the screens, um, the backlit screens when uh, Amazon went to them. It, 
I loved the idea of the of the original uh, e ink versions of the Kindle, and when they moved away from that, I just decided that really wasn't where I, I wanted to move with it. So since I was mm-hmm. going to go backlit screen anyway, I figured I would just stick with <laughs> the device I had. <laughs> right, right, which is it, it, ten times better than the uh, than the backlit screen that yeah. Amazon gives you. You know, and just to clarify too, if you go with OverDrive through your public library, you can also if you have a Kindle device, they can you can have them send it to you. Uh, on your Kindle, and it works that way. We do that with my my son is a voracious reader, and so we're constantly checking books out of the library onto his Kindle for him. Yeah, yeah. I, I started. I did that for a while because I have. I think I've recommended my uh, my preferred uh, reader on my phone is Moonlight Pro, which is a yeah a pretty good uh, yep. pretty good reader app. But I, I started to, to use Libby's just because I could check stuff out to Moonlight from Libby. And then I just started to use Libby and I was like, well, this, this works just fine. I might as well just do it in here. <laughs> right. So speaking of loaning and lending books, you can actually, uh, if you from your Amazon account, if you have Amazon eBooks, you can loan out your eBooks that you've purchased mm-hmm. to friends and borrow yep. them from friends. So if you go into manage your content devices on your Amazon account, and you there's a you go to the book you go to the drop down and it says loan it out and you send it to someone and when it's loaned out you don't have access to it they have access to it and so that's the way of doing it the downside is it's not every book and in fact it's not a lot of books it's some books are available and in general i have found with a lot of the amazon like hey we've got this great feature uh, where we're going to do this with your books it's really up to the publisher and, and oftentimes a lot of publishers don't buy into these new features. And that's a bit of a downside with Amazon a bit. They get ex- all excited and then nothing happens with the, you know, I want to do it. Oh, I can't. The, no, none of my books are available on that. So, but check it out. You might have your books might be, it might be more uh, accessible. Anything else, uh, Jack, any other tips? One thing that I really like is how easy the Kindles, the, e-ink screen ones i don't have experience with the fire kindles with the lcd screen but how easy the e-ink kindles are to self-repair mm. i just uh replaced mm-hmm. the battery in my old kindle paperwhite that's probably five or six years old at this point and it worked completely fine um only thing was a new battery open it up in about five minutes put the new battery and it was no issues at all the device is de- designed in such a way that i don't even know why they didn't make the back come off because they could have done that really easy Hmm. I mean, I I know why they didn't, because they want you to buy a new Kindle. But. <laughs> right. Yeah, we'll have a link to the iFixit website where you can get the, the in- information on how to do various repairs on your Kindle devices. And that's a good point, because it's interesting that Amazon is not really innovating a lot in the Kindles over the years. I mean, they've got new generations, but they don't really each successive generation doesn't really do that much more. There's not a huge reason to upgrade except when your battery dies or you break right. it, yeah. you know, that would be the other thing, but this is a way to avoid having that. That's so that's interesting. Well, I'm probably one that contributed to that, keeping mine for over a decade, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> not, you know, never, yeah. never having it break. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I had, uh, I, I talked about it last summer where my son's Kindle, got uh, locked up it got bricked somehow in the middle of it was in the middle of updating we were on vacation with poor wi-fi and that must have munged it into a state it couldn't recover from and they we had to replace it they they sent us a replacement because it was it was still new um but other than that i mean generally they they just they just go on and on until the battery gets older and older and it doesn't last as long yeah uh so one thing i want to mention and this is a case where i wish Amazon would begin innovating, which is 
uh, what I was talking about earlier with you guys, is I wish Amazon would put a locator in it, a la Tile or AirTag, you know, find my phone, that sort of thing. Find my Kindle. I sp- <laughs> like I, I say every day, <laughs> at least once a day, I have a child in my house come to me and say, can you ping my 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 Kindle? And I'll tell you how I did, I did this in a second. And it's like, well, first I say it's in your bed. <laughs> no, it's not. I checked. <laughs> Let's go check. And I'll go in there and I'll ping it and you ding, ding, ding from the bed because that's where the Kindle is. Uh, so how do I do that if <laughs> Amazon doesn't have locators in their devices? Uh, I have cases for them where I have either attached an, a tile tag to the back, the sticky ones, or uh, in mine, I have a uh, it has a pocket that I've slid a tile into or now an air tag. I've replaced it with an air tag. And so uh, that's my tip is get a case for your uh, your Kindle, get one that has a pocket or that you're willing to put, put a, st- a sticky tile on it and and put one of these locators in it because, you know, you don't want to lose your there. I mean, these are relatively inexpensive, but they're not that inexpensive. They're, they're still a hundred bucks, uh, you know, around about 80 to a hundred dollars or something like that. And so you don't want to, you don't want to lose it. Uh, and they're, they're small enough to get lost, especially if you read them a lot in a lot of places. So that's that's one of my tips. But I would say anyone who's not using a Kindle, the the great thing there is even if you do leave it somewhere, all you've lost is the device because right. Yeah. You know, it's all of your books. All the progress is saved. All of all of your books are saved in the cloud. There's no it's not like you're actually going to lose anything other than the physical device itself, which is a huge advantage in having that specific kind of device. Just like that. That's true. Until the jerk who finds it starts reading your books and moving your place in him. Uh, I would uh, would make me more mad than someone stealing the device. (laughs) There's a special special torment for people like that. Yes, (laughs) people who move your bookmarks. And uh, let's see. One one other thing I want to mention is um, I have a a couple children with some reading disabilities. You know, the dyslexia of various degrees, and they have several different fonts available in the Kindle device that you can choose from. And one of them is one called Open Dyslexic, which is a font designed for people with reading uh, disabilities. And my daughter, she went from a halting reader, like barely able to read. Now she reads like the wind <laughs> as, through her books. And uh, that's part of the reason why, because it helped her so much uh, through using a, in the Kindle device, the open dyslexic font, which is, uh, which is fantastic. And that's a good point that you bring up. I know a lot of people who tend to be more traditional about things do not like Kindles just by virtue of the fact that it's an electronic device that you can read from. But it has a lot of advantages for people, like if you're hard of seeing or things like that, it has a yep. lot of advantages for accessibility and reading, which I think is a good thing. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can make the font bigger uh, mm-hmm. if you'd like, make it giant. Uh, so for if you have really bad uh, vision, that sort of thing, I sometimes read and laying in bed and I don't like wearing my glasses in bed. So I make the font a little bigger <laughs> in bed uh, and, you know, make it smaller when I have my glasses on. Uh, it's yeah, it's. It is a huge advantage that to that device. Any other tips, guys, that you want to share with folks? I've got a couple more, but uh, I just want to let you guys jump in if you have anything. I guess uh, one other thing I would add is I really like Instapaper. Um, I think mm-hmm. that's in one of the links that you've attached, but to send articles to your Kindle, because that is both an advantage and a disadvantage of the device is that it 
it has a web browser that is unusable. So it basically does <laughs> not have a web browser. It's yeah. been experimental for 15 years now, I think. Um, yeah. <laughs> so if I find an article like on my phone that I want to read, I really don't like reading on my phone. So I'll just send it uh, through Instapaper to my Kindle and read it there. Right. Instapaper is a read it later service. Another one like that is called Pocket. Uh, mm-hmm. And and there is a a service called Pocket to Kindle where you can send your you could do a similar thing where you can send Pocket articles you save to Pocket to your Kindle. It's, it's at ptk.co, so easy to, easy to remember. Uh, but yeah, I I love to save uh, magazine articles, newspaper articles, anything of any length. I save mm-hmm. it to Pocket and then then I don't read it for five years mm-hmm. and then look at it later <laughs> or delete it. Uh, but but if I could send it to my Kindle, which I should start doing again, that would be a way to to, to make sure that that that's that gets taken care of. If you're really bent on looking at PDFs and uh, and your Kindle is just not displaying them right, uh, Calibre is a good uh, program that you can run them through, and it does a pretty good job of converting them into uh, a Kindle format. Uh, it's pretty straightforward. It's uh, it's gotten a lot better over the years. It used to be a mm-hmm. really complicated uh, program to use, but it actually is pretty good at taking any kind of uh, electronic document. As long as there's not DRM on it, it can convert it to just about anything else that you want it to. Yeah, I I actually we talked about this last summer when I had my problem with my son's Kindle. We had trouble where they accidentally deleted all of our library of eBooks from our account which is mm. hundreds of dollars worth of books oh, no. and they wow. they fixed they fixed it eventually which it eventually was the scary part uh and then i remember then i looked up how to back up my kindle library and we did an episode where i talked about it and calibre is a key part of that you can import things you have you have to do things that perhaps amazon would rather you not do to your the copy protection on those books mm-hmm. but it can be done and I'm doing it to make a backup for myself, not yeah. not to give them away, you know, immorally, unethically. Uh, so uh, it's a, it it makes sense to do that. And Clearway is, is is a great it's a it's a multi tool for books, basically, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it runs on everything. It it like like the uh, Kindle app. Oh yeah, and and I would say too. I, I think you know, wanna, don't just look at it as a as a system that gets rid of DRM because I think that's kind of the way it's presented really often. Yeah, but you know, if you have PDFs that you want to read on your Kindle, they don't always display correctly because oh, yeah. that's not what they're designed for. And if you run them through Calibre, um, it'll output a format that is really good and decently readable on yes. your on your Kindle. And if you have those. For, uh, outputted PDFs from Calibre or other ebooks because you can read uh, many of the ebook formats uh, can be converted to the Kindle format using Calibre. You can send them to your Kindle. There's an app you can download called Send to Kindle, and that also it's a separate app from the Kindle app, but an app you can download to your computer, and it's it will you and you put your you have a special email address that Amazon mm-hmm. gives you that is just for your Kindle. And so you put it into this app and then you drop, all you do is drop the file for the ebook on this icon of this app and it will send it to your Kindle. Boom. And now it's on there. Yeah. So that's a a really, really good feature. So a couple other things just I wanted to make sure I covered was that uh, if you, if you have, you know, say you and your spouse have Amazon accounts, you should have an Amazon household account, which is mm-hmm. you can be on each other's account. You can get access to things that each other have purchased, share things like uh, wish lists for kids, uh, you know, kids birthday wish lists on Amazon, uh, share your prime 
account, that sort of thing. Well, if you have an Amazon household go uh, set up, you can also share all the books that each other have purchased. So mm-hmm. like my wife and I share those books and uh, you, you can even be reading at the same time. But again, you have to be careful with moving each other's bookmarks, which, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is uh, tricky. Uh, so yeah, that, that's a, that's a, a useful tip there. And then one other thing I want to mention, there's a new feature that you might see on, on your Kindle these days, which is if, you, if, you, if it's updated recently, you can now group series of books together in its listing. So it used to be like every individual book, the, you know, the, the Lord of the Rings, you'd have uh, Fellowship of the Ring, The Two Towers, The Return of the King, and it would take up all that extra space. Now we'll put all the books together in one folder say in on the screen and then you can go in and that's especially great if you have a series of books like the dresden files which has 17 uh volumes <laughs> and so it takes up a lot less space so that's another one to to take keep an eye out for you can you can turn that feature on although or if they're incredibly annoying books that have different authors and different titles oh, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Oh, that's always oh difficult gosh. <laughs> yeah and you can manually set up collections too that's the other thing is if you want to group certain books together into a collection uh, say these are all of my books from a particular class I took or something like that. You can do that as well. Yeah. And then, uh, so anything else guys, any other tips, Jack? That did actually, uh, ring a bell with, um, you can actually rent textbooks on your Kindle. Yes. For a lot cheaper than you can get the physical book for a lot of the time. So, hmm. uh, I did that when I was in college with a few things and I saved over a hundred dollars on each book. Usually. I mean, it's still, you're still paying overpaying for a textbook, but it's a lot cheaper. And then you don't have to lug around a 30 pound book right and then you can highlight it and the and it goes between your right. computer and your kindle yeah that's that's great that's like actually good good tip yeah i think that about i'm mean, sure there's there's again i told as i said you can google tips for kindle and you'll find a hundred articles with all kinds of tips uh but these are ours and if you've got a tip let us know technology at sqpn.com let us know your best kindle tips and you want to share with everyone uh that we we didn't cover and uh we'll we'll, we'll Bring it up in a future episode. Uh, we have talked about ebooks and Kindles in previous episodes. If you want to go back and look at those, that was episode 26 and episode 78, uh, where we talked about the in, in depth uh, the using your ebooks and Kindles, that sort of thing. So before we move on to some really cool headlines, I want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of technology, including Kenneth F., Tim H., Jerry G., Kevin K., and Joshua G., their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the Secrets of Technology and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. All right, so here's a, a headline that, like, just before we started recording, I, I <laughs> added this to the, the list. We had to talk about it. And that is uh, SpaceX's Starship SN15 finally landed without blowing up <laughs> it was on fire but it made it <laughs> it was, it was on fire but it didn't explode <laughs> and that's what counts so did you guys get a chance to watch that uh tonight i've actually not seen it yet so i'm looking forward to watching oh, that after man. this uh my, my wife and i were watching it i actually interrupted she was watching the young rock and um i was like i'm stealing the tv and, <laughs> and cast from my phone on, onto the tv she's like wait a minute you can't do that and i'm like nope I... <laughs> <laughs> this so is I important uh, <laughs> this is important and i'm glad they nailed it because otherwise it would have been like oh great it blew up again see that's yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right you would have been in big trouble uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> so it, when it took off it looked 
pretty like cloudy. Uh, it was interesting. Yeah. It was immediately a low cloud cover. It's fascinating to me the the conditions that they they allow these flights in for themselves that like NASA never like, would take off under the right. conditions they <laughs> launch in. And it's kind of fascinating. The whole process has just been so interesting to watch and to compare it to how NASA usually does things. Like if NASA blew up one of their rockets, they would have tested one and then we'd be waiting like a year later and then they test mm-hmm. the next one. And right. this is the like 15th or I don't I think, yeah, the 15th one this this year or within the past year. Like, right. Yeah. It's amazing how quickly they've iterated. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's a, this is the this is the key when it's government money, you can you know take your time, have a blue ribbon commission in between explosions, you know, all that sort of stuff, because it's just a taxpayer coming out of the budget. Whereas when you're a for profit company, you've got to get this going. Let's get it done. Mm-hmm. We need to get this thing, you know, flying right. In, and yeah. that's what's great. Well, it's so funny, too, because it's it's like you, you don't you have to justify things differently as a for-profit company right like right nasa has to justify well this is what we're doing to do it safely this next time and and spacex has to justify this is how we're going to get it done quickly right, <laughs> right, right. we're not going to waste a whole bunch of time waiting on this we, we've fixed these problems we're going to launch again and see if we can get it this time <laughs> yes. right and they've won the contract for uh the, the new moon lander yes mm-hmm. yes so, and i think a lot of that has to do with how quickly they've iterated on on their designs. Oh yeah. It's, it's fascinating to me. Like just this, like I cannot wait until we see a starship landing on the moon. Like, yeah. I I mean, none of us are old enough to remember a moon landing. I think, I mean, I, Mm -mm. I technically probably could have seen it, but I don't, I wouldn't remember it. I was too young. Uh, And just the idea of the, we could see a moon landing in our lifetime. I just, it, as a space geek, it, it tickles me pink <laughs> yeah, to, right? to think of that. We could see a Mars landing. That's that's. Oh yeah. man, I can't. Even, I don't know if I even hope for that these days. It's a, but it's but it's a reality. That's the thing. Yeah. It's like it's it's not it's not science fiction right. as much as it was ten years ago. And right. that, that to me is amazing. Right. Ten years ago, the idea of going back to the moon, never mind to Mars, it was like, yeah, maybe someday, maybe my my kids will see it. Twenty fifty, we'll get back up there. And now all of a sudden. It's happening because of these private enterprises, these companies. Mm-hmm. And this is just one company. We got Blue Origin. We got uh, this one out of New Zealand called Dawn Aerospace. I mean, these all these companies are really getting out there and getting it done. And I love to see it. It's, a, it's Which, fantastic. If, if you missed my recommendation earlier, this is one of the first recommendations I made. Uh, there is a program uh, for your there's an app that you can have to follow these. And it, it tells you when these things are launching. And I'm going to I got to pull it up just to make sure I get the name right. <laughs> um, space see. launch now. Space launch now. Yep. Oh, yeah. So episode three. Space launch now. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, one of the first I think it was the first recommendation I made. Uh, so space launch now. It, it gives you notifications. It gives you links to the launch video. Uh, and, I'll, and I'll tell you, I was thrilled about this uh, because we got to watch my son and I got to watch the um, crew dragon that went up uh, about a week and a half ago and we got to see it in the early morning Florida sky because it pinged me at you know five in the morning and I was like oh hey and he just happened to get up and walk into the bathroom and I said hey let's go out and watch this thing and it was the best light show we have had wow by far just because of the atmospherics there was this huge gut of light so you could see the crew dragon moving off and you could see the the lander coming back in uh, oh the, wow the first stage coming back into the atmosphere 
It was amazing. <laughs> that is awesome. That's fantastic. Yeah, seeing seeing those land never gets old, or seeing the uh, the starship lying on its side, hovering in the air. Just, yes, it's just oh. mind boggling. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's actually the other thing is the crew dragon. How many times have they launched and returned with a crew on them to the ISS just this yeah. year? Like three or four times already. I mean, it's it's fantastic. It, yeah. it it's amazing. It's so great to see. Great to we're back. Yeah. We're in space again. Yes. <laughs> Uh, so. it's a good feeling yeah it, <laughs> it is. is good feeling let's uh let's talk about uh some other headlines this was a this is not new but this is the first chance i've had to talk about it with you guys because i've been saving it because you're, you're my linux guys so uh there was this whole big dust up in the linux community and we were involved in the university of minnesota and well why not uh, thomas why don't i let you kind of explain what happened in because i'll probably mess it up go ahead <laughs> okay so i it's, it's kind of a convoluted explanation because you need a good bit of background if you've never worked in open source software and or or development especially if you've never worked in development because basically the way that development works is um you get a bunch of the code that you download to your machine you edit something on your machine that you think is going to fix something or you think is going to add something to the code and then you submit it back to wherever the source is that it came from and it gets approved if it's good or uh, doesn't get approved if it's not good. And that's basically the way that software development works is that there's there's something that's and that's that's just development. That's before it even goes live. So that the thing once they approve the thing, it's still in a development package and then they have to actually put it into production from there. Um, so basically, you are you, you get your own little chunk of code. You write what you think is going to work. You submit it. They accept it into the development stream and then they put it into production once they've tested it and everything works. So that's kind of the background for how development works. And open source software is exactly that same thing. And if you are going to submit a patch or contribute something to open source software, you go through that same process. So you can download the code uh, because it's openly available. That's what part of what makes it open source. You download the code, uh, which is basically just cloning a part of the code for yourself. You write whatever you think is going to fix it. You test it on your own machine, make sure it works, and then submit it. And so that's... That's the long and short of how development works. Well, what happened was the University of Minnesota was, uh, had a research team that was trying to show how easy it is to submit buggy code, basically to just submit junk code okay. uh, into the Linux kernel. And so they submitted a series of patches that were just bad. They were designed to be bad. They weren't designed to do anything malicious. They were just designed to be poor buggy code. And uh, the the Linux kernel team got them, they checked them and verified that they were not going to work and told them that's not going to work. And so that was not that's not a big deal in and of itself. No, no harm, no foul, whatever. But then uh, the research team that did that did it again. <laughs> and when they did it the second time, they did it uh, with false uh, ID, false user IDs, which is definitely a big no-no in the mm -hmm. in the open source space and they did it by it i don't know when you read the emails back and forth it sounds like they used just a, a an algorithm to kind of produce purposefully bad code and oh. tried to submit that and so the so linux the, the maintainers of the kernel said nope no more and they banned the the university of minnesota from submitting any more uh linux kernel patches uh which is kind of a big deal because universities and people working on their doctoral theses 
uh, based on Linux. Now, suddenly, anybody who's at the University of Minnesota is not able to submit their doctoral thesis because they can't submit whatever Linux kernel code wow. they needed to, to work on. So on the one hand, it's kind of a big deal. On the other hand, it's kind of like it's a kerfuffle. <laughs> right. It's yeah. not, not really a big deal, <laughs> but it made news because, you know, Banning the whole university, university is yeah. banned. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I think is a, I think is the wrong move, honestly. It doesn't surprise me based on how the Linux community can operate. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that it is a particularly good precedent to set because it's going to discourage people from wanting to contribute in the future. Yeah. Right. And I think I've, I've read a little bit more about it and what it's the, the two big problems that they had were, were first off that nobody at the university was checking what was being submitted. Right. Um, and so that that's uh, one of the recommendations they have for University of Minnesota to kind of gain their way back in is that they, they need someone at the university level that checks the code for cleanness before it goes to the kernel recommendations. And so the, the big problem that they had was not so much that this arrived on their table, but that it arrived on their table directly from the submitters, not having gone through a check process. Right. And, and and then the other thing was the falsified IDs. That was like the really big red yeah. flag for them. And that that makes sense. And I, I, I guess I see the issue being if if they're successful with this and they don't get large consequences, it's going to result in people just flooding the Linux kernel with garbage patches. Right. Just to do it. Wasn't part of it like before they had submitted the second set of bad code. They'd already published their paper on how easy it is to submit buggy code to an open source yeah. project. Yes. And then which is, which is hilarious because it never ended up in the like, yes, yeah. they submitted it, but it's it's definitely the, the the university's fault that they did get it as far as they did. And then what it did was it triggered a complete review of all of the University of Minnesota code. <laughs> and so oh, yeah. <laughs> the Linux kernel developers then had to go through and look at all of the submissions and verify that they were all clean code which is just a complete waste of time if what you're right. doing is researching how easy it is to get code how, do, how easy it is to submit code which, yeah apparently it's not that it's it not that easy it's not that easy <laughs> it might be easy for you as a submitter but it's not easy for the people on the other end who are right. doing due diligence and making sure that they check the stuff that they're supposed to check it doesn't result in a bad code getting out to users because exactly no. you got caught so they kind of falsified their entire premise of their paper it's like no everything worked how it was supposed to work you just yeah. caused a lot of extra work for people and my understanding is that another part of it is that you know who approved this idea to run an experiment on the entire linux community which to to be to be clear linux underpins all the important infrastructure technology infrastructure in the world like literally mm-hmm. yeah like this this yes. is a this is a, one of the most important pieces of technology in our society today yes uh, maybe we shouldn't experiment on it like that <laughs> i mean i get the idea of how that it's a good idea to do research on how secure the code is and how to keep people from introducing bad stuff into it there's nothing wrong with researching that they just went about it poorly i think is yes. is the is the, qu- the question okay yeah yeah and, and i think really what it comes down to is that um the university was not operating their uh all the Linux submissions, they were not operating in the way that a company went, the, which is the company mm-hmm. has a, a checker that goes through and checks the code for uh, 
or clean orderly process and submits that to the Linux kernel. Right. So there's so there is supposed to be a, a boundary there between those two things. And and right. what ends up happening is if there's not a boundary there between the people writing the code and the, the kernel itself, is that that company gets removed from the ability to provide updates. So this is really kind of as intended. It just is it, it's tough that it's a whole that, university. <laughs> right. I hope that they can come to a resolution so the people who are there who had nothing to do with this don't get penalized. Right. right. It sounds like it will. I mean, just yeah. Tempers are going to get tamped down. Everyone's going to realize everyone's w- looking at them. You know. I mean, the, the one guy is like, "Fine, you're banned." Like, I can just picture it. Like, you know, the the like the soup Nazi from Seinfeld. You know, yes. no soup for you, no Linux for you. <laughs> Which you know, I mean, uh, Linus Trevaldis, the guy who developed Linux, he he quit. Uh, he he stepped back as one of the developers because he, and, and this was he actually said that he was going to go get help for the way that he was dealing with people because he was oh, wow. so harsh and so yeah. Uh, so much of that soup Nazi kind of character. <laughs> so, you know, some of that definitely has leaked into the, the top yeah. level. And if you've ever tried to commit to open source, uh, just or if you ever are interested in it, just have a thick skin. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ready to go in Because, you know, I have done my share of things and all the stuff I've done is just like, you know, documentation where I've just like written up how something worked. And man, the comments you get, it's just like. It's brutal. Like, oh, it's it is. You really, you really just have to go in with the mentality of you know these guys are going to tear me a new one, and I need to just I, I need to just live with it and right. stick by what I believe in. <laughs> if if yeah. I think I did well, then I'm going to say I did well. If I can, but I can always learn something, right? <laughs> it's like submitting an edit to Wikipedia. It's the, oh yeah, <laughs> very similar, very similar. Oh yeah. Good. Thank you for that uh, explanation because that I was looking for for that sort of explanation on what was going on with that. So uh, another headline we have is there's a bill before Congress called the Fourth Amendment is not for sale act, which I think is hilarious, uh, especially since with Congress is, is at work. So it often is. So for, everything's for sale sometimes <laughs> with Congress, depending on who's, buy, who's selling or buying. Anyway, uh, but this bill has bipartisan support. And what it would do is essentially closing a loophole in the Fourth Amendment. Now, the Fourth Amendment uh, protects us or enumerates our rights to be protected from war- uh, warrantless searches and seizures. So in order for law enforcement to search our property, our, pers- our person, uh, anything like that, they need to get a, a warrant from a judge saying that they have probable cause and they have reason, reasonable belief. And that's I'm not a lawyer, so I'm just get, bear with me while I explain that. But uh, remember your junior year uh, U.S. history in civics class. <laughs> right. So, but what this would, what was happening was, is remember we've talked about these companies like Clearview AI and other data brokers that are slurping up all that data on the internet, on your social media sites and all that stuff about, you know, the, the cookie information, all that stuff. And they're po- compiling together and building pr- uh, shadow profiles of us and selling that on the open market. And what law enforcement was saying, well, heck, if we can buy up some of this these this data, that's going to help us in our investigations and looking for people and that sort of thing. And then we don't have to get warrants for that. We just buy it. And Congress is saying, mm, no, that is you're 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 purchasing a, a warrantless search. And that's that's not right. That is a clear violation of the spirit of the Fourth Amendment. And mm-hmm. now we're going to have the letter of the law. Uh, enforcing that and uh, so what do you guys think of this this that a what these companies are doing and b this law that they proposed i think it's a good law and 
I know we've talked about Clearview AI before and what they're doing is extremely problematic and leads to a lot of a lot of bad precedents being set. Um, so, yeah, I'm completely in support of this. Yeah. To, to recall, Clearview was scraping images from Facebook, Twitter, social media and using that selling it to be used in facial recognition, which mm-hmm. yeah, I don't like my photos being used that way. Yeah, and just, just and besides that, it's been it's been shown to be very bad at doing exactly that, right? There's been right. how many cases recently where they have found a person, <laughs> <laughs> right? Right. And, yeah, yeah. We talked about that uh, last week or the week before, where there was a guy in Detroit who's suing the police for false arrest because mm-hmm. he a bad facial recognition match right. and ended up in jail. And the the quality of the pictures they're getting can't be very good because I mean people are bad at taking pictures and posting <laughs> on facebook well don't you just you know, tell them enhance and that works right, right? just exactly. like on tv just, just zooms it. right in and <laughs> clears it all up for you yeah. enhance that license plate <laughs> what that doesn't work <laughs> I, I think the problem is also just the attitude has been with that stuff if they can get a good enough match they're gonna go after something right right he'll be guilty of something and that's yeah that's a terrible terrible thing to to to, to attitude to take into this thing so i i I find myself, you know, at times on the side of the ACLU and <laughs> often I'm at odds with the ACLU. In this case, I'm on this. We're on the same side with this. I think this is a a good bill and I'd like to see this passed. All right. And then our last headline I want to mention is uh, back to space, uh, but all the way to Mars. Cause we were talking about Mars is uh, NASA's Ingenuity helicopter. I love it's the little helicopter <laughs> that could. It's, it's so awesome. <laughs> I just love this idea. NASA JPL makes this look so easy. Like, sure, <laughs> yeah. it's a it's like a drone. You're just flying it. What's the big deal? You're flying oh, it. It's 17 minutes of communication time there and 17 minutes back, 17 yeah. light minutes away. And so you they're not flying it. They're programming it to to figure out how to do the thing it needs to do in several different right. things in the midst of it. It's awesome. The thing that's so cool about it, I'm actually watched a video on this earlier. Um when they were designing it, they were able to test uh, the atmospheric conditions, but they weren't able to test those with the gravity, um, Mars's lower gravity. Mm-hmm. So they weren't even sure that this thing would work or that you could fly a helicopter on Mars. They just programmed it to the best of their ability using the best theories they had. And we're like, we'll send it there and hopefully it will take off. Yeah. Right. The- <laughs> and it's gone far beyond the testing phase. They're, they're now yeah. planning to use it in operationally to help the Perseverance rover do its job, which sounds awesome. It's, yeah, it's just great. Th- these guys blow me away. And I think it, that it, it's the hardest thing to wrap your, wrap your mind around, that, that none of the stuff that's up there is being driven by anyone here. Mm-hmm. And, and when they talk about, like, making a, a new task for the thing, that's, that, that's not just a, a simple matter of, uh, you know, hey, well, we're going to write a program for it. Because if you've ever written a program, you have to test the program. You have to test the program with the parameters that, it, that it's going to be used on. You have to make sure that it's going to do pretty much what you want it to do. And then they're sending it off to this thing on another planet and hoping that it works right. And when it does, it's like when you see these people stand up and cheer for something going right, that's because that is their genuine reaction. There's no <laughs> yeah. faking there no. at yeah. all. <laughs> yeah. And like, you don't want to send bad code to this thing and then lock no. it up. You can't oh, just hit man. the reboot button. Like yeah. you need to make sure that it's going to work when you send it. Oh. That's, that's what's amazing. Uh, yeah, so the, yeah, the ingenuity, it'll take off, fly around, come back. Uh, takes images, communicates with the rover, 
and so a couple of things they're planning on doing now that they've they've, they've done these little simple flights is they're going to start doing things like having it fly you know fly to places where they plan to send the rover uh fly to places that the rover can't ac- access and look at it or look at things closer i mean this opens up a whole new this isn't just the thing we now could drive to places now we have this ability to cover a lot more area on mars in our explorations and that's going to be another game changer i just yeah. love this idea helicopters in space helicopters in <laughs> space awesome awesome all right on that note let's uh switch to our our next segment where we're going to do our picks of the week and uh, thomas you're up first this week what's your pick Alrighty, so um i was actually surprised i went back and looked at our picks of the week just to make sure this one hadn't shown up yet but um i am uh a, a on and off uh workout nerd and uh i'm i'm getting back to on after having the last couple of kids i have uh, put on a little bit of that dad gut oh yeah i'm about to about to hit 40 this year so i'm uh you know <laughs> needing to needing to, <laughs> to make sure that by my by my 40th birthday i'm back in some kind of decent shape so uh one of the apps that i i that i have used in the past but that i'm finding recommended to me from every single person that i'm getting information from right now is called my fitness pal and it's a calorie tracker, but it's a lot more than that. So I, I just want to kind of lay it out. Now, a calorie tracker, if you've never used one before, is you just you have a list of things that you're adding. You push the plus button, you add your food to it, and it will track how many calories are in the food that you are eating. Now, MyFitnessPal, because it's used by so many people, it has a lot of stuff already entered into it. So if you just search for Wendy's Baconator, uh, then... Boom, there it is. It has the Wendy's Baconator and it has a verified check by it too. Like they even have, like they went to Wendy's and checked off that that's actually what a Baconator is. Um, And it also has a function where you can hit the plus button and you can scan the barcode of whatever food you're about to eat. And it will pull in that information because someone has eaten that food before and put put in that information and they scan the barcode when they did it. And so, bam, you automatically have the thing that you are eating. And I've, I've gotten, I've had some really obscure stuff come up mm-hmm. and just like show up with the barcode. And I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> Works for me. <laughs> I've had particular brands of bourbon show up. I mean, that's oh, just, yeah. <laughs> that's just awesome. <laughs> nice. It's wild. So um, it, it's, it's really great. And it, it integrates really easily with several other apps that you have. So if you have kind of an app structure, they have my fitness pal and they have like a, a, a my run tracker or run keeper or something like that, that you can use. Um, it works decently with my, my watch. So it'll keep up with the, uh, I have a Samsung watch and it will keep up with the, um, the workouts that I'm doing there. So it can add those in as calorie uh, negatives off of my day too. So I can, uh, you know, add, add back in a little bit more food that I can eat, things like that. Um, but all around it's a really, it's just a really great app. It does have some social components to it. So, you know, like my wife will uh, put together a meal and she'll have a whole menu for it and she'll put it on her day and then I can just go over to her thing and steal it from her. <laughs> so I don't have to put in the same uh, menu items, uh, which is nice. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and so you can do that if you and if you have somebody that you that, you know, is doing a good job with their workouts and stuff, you could follow them. And if they're sharing their their diary, then they then you can get some information from them about what kind of stuff they're eating as well. It works with like Fitbit, works with Apple Watch, mm-hmm. all that stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's oh, really and it's, it's a free app too. That's that's the yeah. other really great thing about it is like all of this functionality is free. You can pay a premium, but it the premium really just like if you are tracking micronutrients, like if you want to make sure that you're getting a certain amount of vitamins or something like that, 
um, then you can do that. But for macronutrients, like if you're just tracking the grams of protein, the grams of carbs and stuff like that, because again, complete nerd. And if I'm going to do bodybuilding, it's going to be complete nerd kind of bodybuilding. Um, you know, I'm, so I'm tracking the macronutrients and it does that kind of stuff. Like, so if someone's put in, you know, gone through and actually put in the information from whatever food you're eating, uh, then all the macronutrients for that day will show up as well. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. If you are a long-term uh, Secrets of Tech listener, or at least back to last September, and you think, I know we've talked about this before. It did come up in, it was not as a pick of the week, but when a discussion of health monitoring and activity ah. tracker apps. So if you want even more health activity stuff, uh, go back to episode 83 on that one. That would, that would uh, have some more stuff like that. But yeah, uh, I think father Corey is a, a big fan of my fitness pal. So excellent. Jack, what's your pick? Uh, my pick of the week is uh, swift playgrounds from Apple. It's a program they have. It's available for both Mac and windows and it's free um, for learning the swift, swift language. And it does it in a really uh, good way um, for both adults and kids. It basically gamifies how you're learning the code. And it walks you through like each level of the game, learning new functions. And you control this character. And by writing the code and different, um, like the different code segments, it'll let you guide the character through the game and play the game. And as, it, as you move through, it gets more and more complex. And it does that to teach you how to write the code. So it's, I've been yep. working through that just to get into Swift. Um, it's a language I've been looking to learn. And it's really easy. Um, it saves your place. Uh, it's it's also just a good um, if you're looking to get into coding for the first time. It's a good way to start. Yes, yes. Swift is the is the co- is the programming language that Apple has come up with. And so, if you want to program uh, iPhone apps and that sort of stuff, but it goes beyond just uh, iOS. It goes to you know Swift is used in other places too. But yeah, well, I've had it on my iPad, and my my daughter has. Uh, done some of the early uh, mm-hmm. lessons and yeah it's 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 great for you know 10 years old eight years old if they can they can read they can do it i think it's right is the is there that's great excellent pick so my pick is uh, inevitable uh, if you've been listening for the last few weeks you know that this is coming uh, <laughs> i got air tags that i picked up from apple and uh i have uh, this this is a sort of a mini review it it there's a lot of the promise is there it the uh, the trackability of it in the Find My app and the whole like it narrows it down. This it puts an arrow on the screen and it tells you how far away you are from it and points you right at it and it walks you right to it. It's fantastic. I love that. Uh, it, it has the little beeping sound and it does it. It's really fascinating. It's not a loud beep that the, the that it emits. Like you think uh, when I'm on the other other side of the door or the other room, I'm never hear it. But there's something about the sound that Apple has designed for this, of course, uh, that <laughs> it travels, even though it's not loud and it's fascinating. You can really hear it. Uh, so it's a really interesting uh, device in that case. Um, the the downside of it is, is you have to have some type of case for it to, to attach it to things that this is kind of what's annoying me is like and i'm not going to buy pay for a 40 dollar apple leather you know band for my keychain which is like twice as expensive as the tag itself like you know what i mean like i want to buy a, a more expensive accessory for my accessory uh <laughs> now there are tons of them on am on amazon you know third-party ones and um they're called streaming out as fast as they can get them out of china to us so they're they're all heading this way soon but uh th- that's one of the downsides is, is it needs to be in something to attach to something so the keychain or some kind of loop that you can put you know in your uh 
your backpack. I like to keep put in a backpack. And I've got the pocket in my Kindle's uh, cover that I was talking about that I've slid it into. And hopefully it'll stay there. I'm a little worried. I might I might put a little double-sided tape on it or something like that. I know Steve Jobs is rolling in his grave. I just said I'm going to put double-sided tape on an Apple device, but that's the way it is. Uh, so, um, but I, I really like it. And I really, I've been using the tile for years, several years now. And it's been pretty good. Not perfect. There have been cases where it could have, like, it, it, sometimes when you're a little far away, it's like, oh, I know it's around here somewhere. Just walk around a bit while I see if, see if I can find it. And I'm like, that's what I'm already doing. That's what, <laughs> that's why I have you. <laughs> that's the whole point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just walk around and I'll eventually find it. Like, thanks. Uh, but this is a lot better, uh, at, at, at finding it for, for, yeah, on that, in that case. So I really am happy with that. So. Uh, air tags uh, check check it out i mean it's it's not cheap but it's not it's actually a really comparable to tile so uh, it's not like you're paying an apple premium on it and it has a replaceable battery and yeah. it has a replaceable uh 2302 the 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 standard watch battery basically yeah that's out that you can get anywhere so that's pretty good i thought it was really interesting too we had a kind of side side conversation in slack about um about the possibility of tagging someone without them knowing that they, right. you know, like to track mm-hmm. someone. And I thought it was really neat. Apple's solution for that was basically to warn you, hey, uh, you have a tag that's been following you around for the last couple of days that you aren't actually tracking. Did you know that? Right. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty innovative. That's a right. great way to do it. There, there has been some controversy. I, I should point out that some domestic violence groups pointing out that if you are an Android user, that you're not going to mm-hmm. get a warning that someone has put an air tag on you. So um, that's that's the downside. So I'm not sure that that we can expect Apple to do something about that because you know we I don't want it to beep when it's a, and when it's away from me. Like that's kind of what they want is like when it's not near the phone, it's ta- it's connected to that it should beep all the time. I'm like, well, if I put a I'm like my my tagged device. Uh, object in my suitcase at the airport i don't want my suitcase beeping all the way through luggage and into the plane right. <laughs> and, and everybody's doing it you know that so you know who knows that's that's a that's a tricky situation but yeah the the fact is they, that they have thought about it and they've tried to do something about it uh mm. that that is impressive all right i think that should do it for this time uh they oh well, that's it from us uh we would love to hear from you what do you think of any of the things we've talked about today uh we have the kindle tips so if you get your kindle tips send those along and all of our different headlines and our picks of the week you can let us know what you think by commenting on the show at sqpn.com technology or the sqpn facebook page facebook.com starquest media or send an email to technology at sqpn.com. And of course, all of the links from our discussion and our picks of the week will be in our show notes on sqpn.com. If you can, uh, take a moment, please, to write us a review in Apple Podcasts or one of the podcast directories and share the podcast with your friends. Help us grow this community and reach more listeners. Until next time, Jack Barazzini, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of technology. Thanks, Tom. Thomas Sanherho, thank you as well. It's been great. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Technology on StarQuest. Quest.